Amen, amen. Good morning, Inspire Church. It is so, so great to be here for the very first time. I have admired this church, respected its decades-long legacy here in the city. Of course, the, the revival history and the, and the stories of what God's done in and through this house are truly inspiring, truly remarkable, and getting to connect personally with Pastor Andrew and Pastor Hurd these last several months has been such a gift. And it is an incredible honor to meet you, to be here for the very first time on behalf of my wife, Lindsay, and our three children, Mason, Jude, and hopefully I'll be able to bring Liviana. Sometimes she's three. If you meet her, it will be the highlight of your entire year. She is incredible. Uh, but it is so, so good to be in the nation of Texas today, in the great city of Houston. And we have fallen in love with your city, and I'm not exaggerating when I say that. For 17 years, I've traveled uh, across America and globally, and I don't know that I've ever encountered a city with the strength of the body of Christ represented and the church represented like Houston. Not only are some of the great churches of America here in this city, but this city is home to some of the most kind people and kind Christians I have ever met. The disposition and the tone and the warmth of the people of Houston is special. I love this place. And it is so, so good to be in church and to be here with you guys. Uh, Pastor Andrew mentioned briefly a little of our history. We were doing outreaches in Central and South America and really copying and pasting old models for outreach. And we began to say, there's got to be a new blueprint. There's got to be a new model for a new mandate. There's got to be something that God wants to do that we've never experienced before. He's always taking us from glory to glory. Bible says, behold, I will do a new thing. God just doesn't want to do the old thing better. He wants to do something new. And I found myself at 26 years of age in the fall of 2011 sitting with the president of Honduras and said, Mr. President, I know the nation's in pain. Unemployment's over 40%. They're calling this the world's murder capital because it's leading the globe in homicides per capita. But there's a scripture in the Bible, Isaiah 66, 8, where the ancient prophet asked the question, can a nation be saved in one day? And I said, Mr. President, we have this vision called One Nation One Day. Believe it's to begin here in your country. But we can only move forward if you'll agree to these five things. Number one, stand with us on Saturday, July 20, 2013. And together from the nation's capital, we'll speak to the entire country. Number two, pass legislation calling One Nation One Day an official national holiday. Number three, open up the ports and borders. Allow us to ship 18 shipping containers of humanitarian aid and books without any taxes or hangups at the borders. Number four, open up every public high school in the country and allow our missions teams to come to a one-hour school-wide assembly with a gospel presentation. And number five, give us the 18 largest stadiums in the capital cities of all 18 states at no cost to us for free. Now, we didn't know what the president was going to say, but at the end of the meeting, he signed a resolution committing to those five things. And miraculously, the doors of the country had flown open, and we had never brought more than 200 missionaries before, and 
to a country on a trip, and I know to bring 200, I invited everyone I'd ever met in my entire life. But somehow, miraculously, our goal of 2,000 missionaries coming was a reality. We had to chart our own 747. And I'll never forget, as the international team landed in Honduras, we didn't advertise a man or a band. We simply asked the question, can a nation be saved in a day? 470,000 Hondurans crashed all 18 stadiums. We were face-to-face with 1.1 million people in one week's time. And the front page of every Honduran newspaper said these words that morning after, we have a new Honduras. It was extraordinary. The miracle happened again, the Dominican in 15, again in Nicaragua in 2017, this time in a very unique political climate. And then in 2019 in Peru, we said, let's push the innovation again, except this time, let's have a team of 10,000 missionaries. We brought 3,300 from over 43 nations and then empowered 7,000 Peruvians. And we said, we don't need to do the altar call. You stand beside us. You don't just need to be translators and administrative support. You be the missions team. And we went forward as one team. In fact, we brought 400 medical doctors to serve the people. And the president and and leadership said, we can't have you love our nation more than us. So the Peruvian government commissioned 1,000 doctors. Our teams are literally being flown across the country on military aircraft. We filled the largest stadium in all of Central and South America, the Monumental, and everything was moving. Miracles were happening. We're getting invitations from heads of states across South America. And we're thinking, man, these next several years are going to be outrageous. And it was in a time of prayer in early 2019, I felt the Lord say, your next country is not Ecuador, it's not Brazil, it's not in Central America, I'm calling you to Los Angeles. I said, Lord, I think, I think you meant to say Tulsa, <laughs> or Birmingham, Alabama. The South would be an ideal start. And he just said one word, as you turn to L.A., I will be with you. And we went to all of our boards, our pastors, our leadership. We wanted somebody to say, you've missed it. You've not heard from God. But not only did they say you can go to L.A., they said you must. And this movement began in Los Angeles. We had no idea six months later there'd be a global pandemic. Our ministry is headquartered in Southern, Southern California, so we'd be positioned perfectly in the crisis. We had no idea that churches would have to become serve centers, that it would be legally impossible to gather and we would have to to think of new ways to engage the community, but God knew. And after LA, it became clear the next place that this would happen, this time hopefully with no shutdowns and no pandemic environment, would be the city of Houston. And we are so excited for what God is going to do. And, of course, Texas does everything better, and we thought, and bigger, right? We thought if L.A. in a pandemic with 70% of the city closed still could mobilize 20,000 team members, and we were only allowed to put 33% in the SoFi Stadium due to restrictions, surely we could do 50,000 team members in Houston and fill one of the iconic stadiums of Houston. And, of course, L.A. felt like L.A., but Houston's going to feel like Houston The stadium will have country and hip-hop and all the things that Houston loves, artists that love God but have a platform to a generation. And in that moment, 
there will be a clear gospel message heard across this city and around the nation. And we are so excited. How many people are ready for God to do something brand new? Our dream is to work with 1,000 churches in this city. We've already been face-to-face with just over 600 senior pastors, hundreds being trained, adopting long-term initiatives. We believe if you change the way one church sees, solves, and serves its community, it's a compound multiplier over time. Well, what happens when 1,000 churches are serving the greatest challenges facing this city from child welfare to students to poverty and bringing collaborative, sustainable, intelligent impact it's a model for transformation and we're we're so thrilled for what god's doing well how many people came hungry for the word of god this morning we're going to open in matthew 13 i am a bible preacher so you will hear a lot of scripture today matthew chapter 13 verse 3 listen a farmer went out to plant some seeds as he scattered them across his field some seeds fell on a footpath and the birds came and ate them Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plants soon wilted under the hot sun. Since they didn't have roots, they died. Other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still others fell on fertile soil, and they produced 30, 60, even 100 times as much as had been planted. Verse 18, listen to the explanation about the farmer planting seeds. The seeds that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message and don't understand it. The evil one comes and snatches it away. The one on rocky soil represents those who immediately hear the message, receive it with joy, but since they don't have deep roots, it doesn't last long, they fall away. Verse 22, the seeds that fell among the thorns represents those who hear the word, but all too quickly, it's crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, so no fruit is produced. The seed that fell on the good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word, and it produces 30, 60, even 100 times as much. As had been planted. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that eye has never seen, ear has never heard. It's never entered the heart of humanity, which you have prepared for us who love you. We ask you, Spirit of God, to speak to us today. Let our hearts hear from heaven in Jesus' name. And everybody said, In Mark 4 13, Jesus makes a profound statement about the parable of the sower. He said, Unless you understand this parable, you won't understand all the parables. In fact, he said, if you understand this parable, you understand the entire kingdom of God. But if you don't grasp this parable, everything else I tell you, you won't fully comprehend. And it's a story, of course, in an agrarian culture would resonate, a story of a farmer planting seeds. And of course, the disciples are trying to figure out the relevance. What does a farmer having seeds have to do with me? And of course, Jesus says the seeds represent the word of God and the soil represents our heart condition. And it doesn't matter how significant the seed, the result is fully contingent on the soil of the heart. And when Jesus talks about the seed being the word of God, of course, the word of God, the logos The eternal word, the eternal wisdom of God would be something that would be very significant to that Jewish listener. The word, the word that spoke 
creation into existence. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. That word from heaven that can cause there to be light, that, that word that can cause the Red Sea to split, that word that was causing blind eyes to open and deaf ears to hear, that word from, I mean, what's more powerful than the word from God, the word of God? And yet Jesus says, this word could come into a heart and produce a hundred X or this Red Sea splitting, creation forming, life giving word could be virtually ineffective if the soil of the heart is not ready to receive it. And in this one parable, Jesus says, Heart is everything. When we come to Christ, we who were born in sin, conceived in sin, inherited a sin nature, are enemies of God. Of course, when we come to Christ, the power of sin is broken and our distance and separation from God is removed. And at the point of our salvation... The position of our heart gets changed into right standing with heaven. Salvation, faith in Christ, takes care of the position of our heart. But the condition of our heart is our responsibility. See, our heart will always be the number one priority of God. Because it's the most essential, crucial part of our lives physically. You can do without a leg. You can do without an arm. You can do without a head of hair. You can do without a lot of things. But you don't survive without your heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart above all else. For it, for it, for it determines the course of your life. Jesus revealed to us that our hearts could actually become calloused. Over time, it could happen for a believer that has known God for decades. That over time, there's hardening. That the childlike nature, the curiosity, the panic, the passion, the innocence, the worldview that sees the possibilities and the good can get displaced with offense or doubt or judgment or self-preservation or cynicism or skepticism. Matthew 13, Jesus says, for these people's hearts have become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears for they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. How are we going to tend to the garden of our hearts? If our heart status literally can become a lid on the transformational power of God's word in our lives, how do we position the soil of our heart so that when we read the word or when the Holy Spirit releases a word or when a word is released to us corporately, it falls into a hundred X environment. I want to talk about Preparing a hundred X heart, cultivating a hundred X heart. I believe there are five conditions, 
five priorities, five characteristics of a 100x heart. The first characteristic is purified hearts. God cares so much about the purity of our heart. He cared about our behavior and our attitudes and our thoughts and our words in the Old Testament. And he cares about our behavior, our thoughts, our attitudes, and our actions in the New Testament. He is so careful to remind us not to make friends with unrepentant sin. In James 4, pretty strong words, James writes, adulterers and adulteresses. Don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but God gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Listen to this. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. And then there's a pretty significant two phrases. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your be laughter be, be turned into mourning in your joy to gloom. In my journey of following Jesus, I've been encountered by him. When I was 12, I was encountered by him. I, I knew at 12 years old I'd be in the ministry. I knew at 17 years old I was called to cities and nations around the world as a college student. He encountered me and showed me my purpose. He encountered me and showed me vision. But there's a, another way that sometimes God will encounter us, and that is to correct us. Man, when he encounters us to correct us, when he encounters us to unearth things that we thought were okay, that we rationalized or justified or ignored his loving conviction around, that's a strong thing, that's a heavy thing. And the Beatitudes, Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. We think of that, obviously, when there's a loss of a loved one or a tragedy, but in context, mourning in that set of teachings by Christ is really about the condition of our heart. Blessed are those when we recognize our own sinfulness and our own wickedness and our own compromise and our own falling short and our own double-mindedness and our own imbalance, our own idolatry. Blessed are us when we, when we mourn over the condition and the repetitive behaviors that we hate, for we will be comforted. And James writes, cleanse your hands, purify your hearts, lament and mourn and weep. Blessed are you when you mourn because of the state and the condition and the sinfulness that has gripped you. See, when we come to Christ, we're set free from the power of sin. John wrote, beloved, I write to you so that you will not sin, but if anyone does sin... We have an advocate with the Father. So the amazing thing about sinning in the New Testament 
is we do have an advocate with the Father. But we still have to repent. We still have to confess. With the heart man believes, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The Bible says, He who conceals his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses his sin will find mercy. Sometimes we need to confess our compromise. We need to confess to a spouse or to a friend or to a pastor or to a colleague. He who conceals his sin is not wise, will not prosper. But whoever confesses his sin will find mercy. James says, submit. We can't walk in authority. We cannot walk in authority as the church until we submit wholly unto him. He, he, he said, submit to God and then resist the devil and he will flee. And then he said, repent, submit, resist, repent. God takes those he loves and he disciplines and he chastens and he corrects because he's a good father. And let me tell you, no discipline is good for a moment in the moment. But when God begins to highlight, Pastor Andrew told me you guys were almost in, it felt like a season of revival. And man, every time God's taken me to a place of revival, he's exposed where I'm missing the mark. Every time God's drawn me closer, Isaiah stood in the glory of God and said, woe is me, I'm filthy and unclean. John stands in, in, in the presence of God in Revelation and falls as a dead man. Every time I've come into a new revelation of him, it's like, oh God. Blessed are those who mourn. Lord, I, I repent of my idolatry. Things I looked at for strength instead of you. I, I, I repent of my anxiety. My anxiety is a sign. I don't fully trust you. I repent of my fear. My fear is a sign. I have not trusted you, my father. I, I repent of chasing other things because chasing other things first instead of seeking your kingdom first. Knowing and trusting you'd add everything I need. You take care of the birds. You'll take care of me and my kids and my wife and my business and my ministry and my team. God is calling us to purity again. This is not a sermon for the youth group. This is not a sermon for the six months saved. 
This is, this is a sermon for the mature believer. Purify your hearts. Don't let there be unrepented sin. And in some cases, in many cases, don't let there be unconfessed sin. Unearth it. Expose it. Uproot it. Let the hand of God come into the garden of your heart and pull that thing out. Let him, let him set you free. Whom the Son sets free is free. For good free. Like totally free. Living in bondage is living beneath your inheritance. You don't have to live bound. You don't have to live addicted. You could leave church September 2022 free. Sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law. You are under grace. Paul said you're no longer slaves to sin. You're slaves to righteousness. Second position of the heart. Is unified hearts. Psalms 133 says, How good and pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard to the edge of his garments. When we're in divine unity, it produces the commanded blessing of God. I can't think of anything more powerful than the commanded blessing of God. It forces his blessing when we come into unity and to divine alignment. It's like on-demand commanded blessing. It's like, it's a law. It's, it's, it's a force. It's a mandated blessing from heaven. You know, the Last couple of years has been an assault on the unity of the body of Christ. Satan tried to destroy the three levels of unity, which are togetherness, agreement, and commitment. First, our togetherness through the pandemic when we were all isolated. He didn't want us gathering together. So we're all in our own spaces, in our own places, isolated. Some of us for months and months and months. Togetherness is the outer layer of unity. And then we figured out how to connect digitally and virtually and we started to work through it. We finally started to come back together again and then he said, I'm gonna attack their agreement. And people began to fight. And political division made its way into churches and believers and brothers and sisters in Christ and racial divides and America began to fight and the church began to fight in our agreement which is the second layer of unity was attacked. And then the third layer of unity is commitment. And some people gave up on the possibility of unity and oneness in the family of God. 
But commitment is the highest level of unity. If I get in a disagreement with my wife, and maybe we don't end up seeing it the same way, that's okay because there's something deeper than agreement, and that's commitment. And at the end of the day, I've made a commitment to her for life. We might not see politics the same way. We might not see cultural issues the same way. But at the end of the day, if you're a brother or sister in Christ, I have a commitment to you as my family. And our unity is unshakable and unbreakable. And that unity was attacked. There is no place for offense or division or bitterness or resentment in the family of God. It's, it's got to get out forever. It has got to get out forever. The third heart condition are persevering hearts. It says in Isaiah 40, 31, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary, walk and not faint. It doesn't say they'll run and not grow tired. It says they'll run and not grow weary. There's a difference between getting tired and getting weary. Weariness is a reluctant to see or experience anything more. When weariness hits your heart, your heart doesn't want to explore again. Your heart doesn't want to believe again. Your heart doesn't want to try again. I told our team, I said, guys, we're going to stay in a healthy stretch in 2022. We are going to work very hard. We're not going to push ourselves to the point of injury, but we're going to push ourselves past our comfort zone. We're going to get tired, but we will not let our hearts grow weary. We're going to make sure that our hearts are protected from a sense of not wanting to try anymore. We're not going to allow weariness to settle in. We're going to be persevering. We're going to stay in a healthy stretch. We're going to put a demand on the gift of God. No great thing will happen in the comfortable place. No great thing will happen in an easy place. No great thing will happen within our reach. We're going we're gonna to reach beyond our reach. But we're not going to allow ourselves to fall into weariness. We're going to stay in that place of refreshing in his presence. We're going to mount up with wings like eagles. We're going to run and not grow weary. We're going to have persevering hearts. The fourth heart condition is consumed hearts. Paul said in Romans 9, 1, he said, I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. Those are three, Romans 9, 1, those are three very dramatic statements. I speak the truth in Christ. The next scripture. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. Then he said in verse 2, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my own race. Paul said a statement I could not even imagine saying. He said, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish, meaning the pain I feel in my heart never goes away. And then he said, 
I can't even imagine saying it. He said, if it were possible, I would be cut off from Christ for the sake of my nation to be saved. I would give up my salvation. Read it in every translation. It's a profound statement. You could not make this statement unless you were consumed. This is time for God's people to be utterly and completely consumed with his mission. To be utterly and completely consumed with his purpose. To be men and women on fire for his purposes on the earth. To be men and women that are overtaken with conviction for his purposes. The fifth posture is hungry hearts. Moses said, if your presence does not go, do not send us from here. Of course, when we become spiritually sick, hunger leaves. When we become physically sick, the first thing that leaves is hunger. When we become spiritually sick, the first thing that leaves is hunger. If you don't have hunger for his word, if you don't have hunger to worship, if you don't have hunger to convene with the church, it's a symptom of something out of alignment. So God says, there are words I want to give to you. Assignments I want to give to you individually. Assignments I want to release to you corporately and collectively as a church. I believe there's a word to the church in Houston. God is wanting to do something through the church in Houston that will inspire the planet. That will inspire America for what's possible in 2022. In this new moment in history, in this critical moment of our lives. I don't think I've ever lived in a time where the stakes feel more intense. Something clicked over about 36 months ago, 24 months ago, where all of a sudden the stakes raised again. And when the enemy comes in, God says, don't worry, it's my move now. You don't play chess with God and win. The enemy struck, but God says, it's my move. I am about to do something new. Do you not see it? I will make a roadway in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Oh, his move's going to be so good. His move's going to be so fire. His move is going to be so earth-shaking. His move is going to be so city-transforming. His move's going to change everything forever. How many people are excited for his move? It's your move now. It's your move now. Lord, we're ready for you to move in America. We're ready for you to move in the city of Houston. We're ready for you to move through your church. We're ready for you to position your bride in strength. We're ready for you to do something brand new. And God's going to partner with his people in the most outrageous ways. We got to have the 100x heart for this next chapter. We've got to have the 100x heart cultivated for this next chapter because it is going to be outrageous. Will you stand to your feet all across the building? Two more minutes this morning.
Would you place one hand on your heart, lift one hand to heaven? Father, I pray for the men and women at Inspire Church. Pray for those gathered in this 9 a.m. service, those watching later on, those watching live. Father, I ask you to cultivate, help us prepare a hundred X heart environment so that no matter what you say, we're ready to hear from you so that the desire of heaven for this moment in history will be established through and with us. Purify our hearts. Someone needs to repent. Someone needs to confess. Someone needs to get free. Somebody needs to stop ignoring the loving conviction of the Holy Spirit. Someone needs to repent of idolatry for not trusting Father in heaven. I've never said I'm sorry to God more in my life. I was riddled with anxiety and stress. And he showed me, he said, it's, it's anxiety. It's idolatry. You stop trusting me, son. over time he says I'll comfort you I'll strengthen you I'll bring you grace but submit to me submit to me wholly submit to me fully submit to me all out put it all under my leadership Some of us, it's unity. Release that unforgiveness. Release that resentment. Release that bitterness. Release that hurt. For some of us, it's weariness. Let him mount you up with wings as eagles. You can be tired, but don't let your heart be weary. Don't be afraid to dream again, to explore again, to believe again, for tr to trust again, to expect again. Somebody needs to be consumed. Somebody needs to be hungry. Pray this with me, church. Say, Lord Jesus, create in me a hundred X heart. Lord Jesus, create and inspire church a hundred X heart. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.